Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Let's pray. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from lands, from the east and from the west, and from the north and from the south. Lord, as Your redeemed people today, we lift up Your name on high. We praise You for the gift of Your Son and for the redemption of our lives that he brought to us. We thank you that you gathered us uh, to your fold and into your presence. Or teach us that truth with power and clarity. Teach us in the midst of struggle and hardship to know your goodness and your saving work. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. It's in your precious and holy Son's name. Amen. So don't typically do this. Um, I've done it from time to time, but uh, most most often I, I jump right to the to the word before I do anything else. But I, I think that there's something about this particular hymn that will maybe help us to think through the psalm, or not the psalm, the, the passage that we will be reading from uh, as we go through it. So just bear with me as I try to not get mixed up with the with the meter and the timing of this of this hymn. But this is Savior like a shepherd lead us. Savior like a shepherd lead us. Much we need your tender care. In your pleasant pastures feed us. For our use your folds prepare. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus. You have brought us. You have bought us. We are yours. We are yours in love. Befriend us. Be our guardian of our way. Keep your flock from sin. Defend us. Seek us when we go astray. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, hear your children when we pray. You have promised to receive us, poor and sinful though we are. You have mercy to, re to relieve us, grace to cleanse and power to free. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, early let us turn to you. Early let us seek your favor, early let us do your will. Blessed Lord and only Savior, with your love our spirits fill. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, you have loved us, love us still. Turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 in verse 11 is where we'll start. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lay down, lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who 
does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is the hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So, often I talk about context. Context is, 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 in essence, the reason why it's so important for us to not just read the Bible at times, but to actually study it or to think deeper about it, mostly because we are removed from the context. There are many times when, this being a perfect example, Jesus says something and talks about something uh, like shepherds. And the people he's talking to, it's it's pretty pretty rare for anybody who Jesus is talking to in this particular time to not either be a shepherd or have a sibling that's a shepherd or know somebody that's a shepherd who's maybe your neighbor right shepherd this is a society that that really in a lot of ways is founded upon the the trade of shepherd where we live in a society where where even those who have flocks of sheep aren't really shepherds in the same sense so we are, we are very removed from the natural understanding of what's going on here. And so we have to think deeper about the passage than they would have whenever Jesus first said this. So before I get into the text, I just want to share just a few contextual clues that maybe we should hold as we go through this. Number one, there are two basic types of shepherds. Jesus addresses both of them. First, there's the owner of the sheep, who is then a shepherd. The owner of the sheep is the person who obviously owns the sheep. They care for the sheep. The sheep matter because if the sheep die, there goes their livelihood. This is how they make money. This is how they pay the bills. This is how they put food on the table, so on and so forth. Now, the hired shepherd is different. Right? You've got the owners, and then you have the hired shepherd. Sometimes a hired shepherd will be a shepherd for one person, somebody like Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, who has many flocks and many, many sheep and goats and all sorts of different animals, and you're employed by just one person because they have more than enough for you to tend to. But sometimes in a small community like the communities around Jesus, there would be many owners of sheep in the community, and one particular shepherd would take a couple, a couple people's sheep. Now, they care about the sheep in as far as those sheep are their livelihood as well. But it's a little bit different. Because they don't own the sheep, if a sheep dies, the sheep, or the the shepherd, excuse me, the shepherd isn't necessarily going to incur a loss. Now, perhaps they make a deal with the the owner of the sheep that if, if a sheep is lost on my watch, I'll pay part of it or something along those lines. That's different. 
by and large, the shepherd or the, or the owner of the sheep is going to have a larger stake in the loss of a sheep than the hired hand would. Okay. In addition to this, shepherds uh, are very lonely. Whether you're a, a hired shepherd or you're an owner of the, she- of the sheep, doesn't really matter. If you're a shepherd, you're a, you're a loner. Again, I said there are many people. There are many people in our area. We live in a rural community, right? So, so there are people who own sheep and goats and things like that, and would would maybe have been considered shepherds in the in the ancient world, like like these people would. But but the difference is that we don't really have large, vast, open space where you can just wander around with your your animals eating grass of nobody's field, right? In in this particular time, a shepherd would just wander around. All this vast open space to try to find nice pastures to to be in, and so they're very much by themselves. They're they're kind of the only line of defense for the sheep. This isn't this isn't in the middle of a community of, of farmers. You have fences and all, all this kind of stuff. You're largely the corral. You're the defense. You're everything to these sheep. Saying that, the other thing that we have to maybe learn is that sheep are really dumb. Sheep are dumb until they learn the voice of their protector. Okay, now I'm, I'm cheating a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys know that I'm cheating a little bit by calling the shepherd the protector. Because a sheep, again, isn't smart enough to know that that's what they're doing. But, here's what happens. If, if a sheep is by itself... Out in the middle of nowhere, it has no defense. And it also has no mechanism, no ingrained instinct to to remind it where it has been. That's why sheep are often considered very foolish. Because a horse, when taken somewhere and then you lose its rider, will find its way back to food. Right? Because that's ultimately the only thing the horse cares about. It doesn't necessarily care about you, but... He'll wander back until he finds his home. The same thing happens with dogs. Dogs are amazing at this, and this is why many people use dogs as guides out in the wilderness. You go out into the, you go out on a hike, and a dog, even in the dark and in the cold and all that kind of stuff, can find its way back to where it's supposed to be. A sheep can't. It's completely lost without a shepherd. But once a sheep hears the voice and knows the voice of the shepherd, That's it. It's locked in forever. A sheep learns the voice of its protector because its protector does things that basically keep it alive. A shepherd will take it to nice pastures of grass and places where it can drink clean water. And while the sheep might not know it entirely, knows that when it's with the shepherd, he doesn't die. And so... The sheep recognizes that the shepherd is the protector. And so when you first get a new sheep, you teach it your voice. You give it a unique name. You teach it the calls and the, in the, in the, 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 I guess the calls is the word I'm looking for. I already said it. You teach it the calls that, that bring the sheep back. You go out into a place where there's no boundaries and you let them kind of go wild. And then you make a call and all of them hear it and come back. To you. Why? Because they trust your voice. They trust that you're their protector. 
So sheep are really foolish until they know the voice of their protector. Now, some of you might be going, I already know where Ryan's going with this. And I'll give you a clue. I am. That's where we're going. There's something else as we, as we get into the first few verses here. Verse 11, Jesus says something. He says, I am the good shepherd. Let's, let's start with just the first two words there, I am. In Exodus, Moses, he's kind of been, he's, he's been become an outcast, right? He's, he's put in a basket by his mother to keep him from being killed by Pharaoh and all sorts of stuff. And I'm not going to go into the story very much. He's raised by, by a princess, and eventually he, he sees an Israelite, his kin, being abused, and so he kills the Egyptian, and then he's rejected by both the Egyptians and by the Israelites, and he, he's out in the middle of nowhere, wandering around, tending sheep. And he's, he's out by himself, and pretty soon he wanders upon this spectacular sight. It's a bush that is on fire that is not being consumed. And he goes over to it. Because you would, right? You would go over to a bush that's burning that's not being burnt. You'd walk up to it. And as he walks up to it, he hears, take your sandals off because the place you're about to enter is holy ground. Okay. Interesting, Moses says. And he starts to have a conversation with this burning bush. And pretty soon the burning bush teaches him that it's not the burning bush that's speaking. It's actually... God and God says, You're going to free my people from the oppression of the Israelite or from the Egyptians. And, and Moses kind of fights with God and, and says, I don't, I don't have the ability to speak and all this kind of stuff. And he finally says, Well, if I do go, what should I call you? Who should I tell you are? Who, what, should I, what should I tell them your name is? Now, I've talked about names a lot here at Christ Church because the Old Testament revolves around name telling, name calling, right? Names were vitally important in the ancient world. They, 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 if you knew somebody's name, you knew something about that person. Isaiah, for example. Isaiah means Yahweh, the divine name of God. Yahweh is the Savior. And if you look at Isaiah, at the book of Isaiah, and you see Isaiah's ministry, everything that Isaiah talks about revolves around that one idea. That God is a God of salvation. Yes, Isaiah has vast parts of of judgment called upon the people of Israel and called upon the nations around Israel. But ultimately, the beauty of Isaiah's, of, of Isaiah's prophetic writing is that at the end or the second half of Isaiah's writing is all about the redemption of the people of Israel. Even in the midst of their failings, God says, yes, you're failing. Yes, you're going to be punished. Yes, all this stuff is going to happen, but I am the God of salvation. So if you know Isaiah, you know that that's what he's about. So Moses goes, what shall I call you? And God says back to, back to Moses he, in this kind of, kind of backhanded way. He says, I am who I am. Tell them I am who I am. Which is the divine name of God, Yahweh. That's what it means. Yahweh means I am who I am or I will be who I will be. In essence, what God says to Moses is that you are a human who I created. I will be who I am going to be no matter what you want me to be. I am God. I'm the one who is allowed to, to dictate who I will be, and you can't. Because a lot of times, for example, in, in, the, in the worlds around, or the nations around God, or around Israel, you knew that this God was a God of fertility, therefore, you worked that God to your benefit. You brought them 
sacrifices. You did all this stuff to manipulate that God. God says, you don't get to manipulate me. But what's really profound about this statement is is its simplicity. I am who I am. Later in the Gospel of John, John actually uses this reoccurring phrase, I am something, seven times. One of which is when Jesus is in front of Pilate, and Pilate asks him a bunch of questions, and Jesus responds simply with, I am. Are you the king of the Jews? Are you who they say you are? He says, I am. Now, the reason why the people who are around Jesus go berserk and say, blasphemy, blasphemy, is not because he's calling himself king, but because he does so by using the divine name of God. Jesus says, I am, and he states something. He says, I am this God. But what's beautiful about John's gospel, what's beautiful about this, this progression of throughout John's gospel, these seven different times where Jesus uses this I am statement, is then he, he does something that's different from what God does in the burning bush. God says, I am who I am. I am because I am. I am who I will be. Jesus makes a change. He says, I am the good shepherd. Now he shows us that in him, the revealed revelation of God, Jesus, the fullness of God's presence on this earth, is now defining who he is as God in words. I am the good shepherd. And none of us get excited about that, right? Because, again, I don't think we quite grasp it. Jesus isn't saying he's a shepherd. He's not just saying that. In the parable of the prodigal son, all the parables of Jesus, in, in, in particular the prodigal son, the, the driving message is the, is the crazy flip that happens. So Jesus, so we, we, we call it the story of the prodigal son, which is probably a, a false way of understanding because it's not about the prodigal son. It's obvious that the prodigal son would return because if you're in complete destruction and destitution, it's better to be a little bit less at home. We will all get to a point where we finally kind of turn back and, and, and bite our own pride and, and come back home. That's normal. That's, not, that's human nature, in fact. But what's not human nature, especially in the culture of honor and shame, is the, is the father who, who pulls up his, his outer garment and sprints to the son, embraces him, brings him. What, what happens in this, in this story is that the, the, the father, who has every right to at this particular moment, when he sees the son off in the distance, what he should have done, what culturally he would have done, is he would have turned to all the people of the, of the city and he said, let's make sure that he remembers his shame at this moment. And they would have gathered at the gate of the city and shamed the prodigal son. That's what should have happened. But that's not what happened. What happened was the father ran, embraced dishonored himself, took the shame of his son, and pulled it upon himself to love his son. The twist is what matters. Jesus says, I am not just a shepherd, but I am the 
good shepherd. And then he defines it. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, all of us know that the owner of a company is always going to put more time and effort and money and expense and everything that you want to say. They're going to put more into their company than any of their employees. This is what Jesus sees. He, he recognizes it, right? Because if you're out in the middle of nowhere and the only thing that's there are sheep and you see a wolf who very easily could take your life and you're a hired person, you're not going to protect those sheep. You're going to hide. Because if you die, what benefit is it? But the reality is, is that just because a person owns sheep doesn't mean that they'll necessarily die for their sheep because a dead protector is no protector at all. They'll do their best. They'll do much more than the hired hand because the hired hand, he doesn't have nearly as much at stake. But the owner, he does. So maybe he takes his rod, you know, your rod and your staff, they come from me, those are tools of a shepherd. He'll take the rod, he'll go, and he'll defend the sheep as much as he can. But as soon as he sees he's not able to overtake the, the wolf or the enemy to the sheep, he is going to probably take some of the sheep and allow others to be sacrificed. If I have 100 sheep and one sheep is killed by the wolf and I can protect the other 99, I'm going to do that. The reality is, is that shepherds don't die for the sheep. What's the value of your, of, your, of your income if you're dead? Jesus says the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Are you all shocked yet? Now, I think Jesus recognizes there's, there's only so far a picture can go before we lose its value. He'll address this at the end. How can he be our good shepherd if he's dead? No, that's the big twist. Here's the question, why? Why is it that Jesus is the good shepherd and the good shepherd is the one who lays down his life for the sheep? Well, if you were concerned, if you were wanting to know, Jesus tells us. And the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is the hired hand and not the shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The hired hand doesn't care because the hired hand doesn't own. We are God's. We're his possession. He sees us and he sees something that he is building and transforming and growing and he is the one who created us and breathed life into us he is he is the one who who sees the beauty of his creation even though we don't see it ourselves well, that's pretty good right but but you know if god only knew me he wouldn't save me anybody ever think that before very often I think this. God only knew me. You know, I've said this before, but in the New Testament, and in the Old Testament also, but in the New Testament, if, if, if an author repeats himself verbatim, it's probably because he wants to say something. He says, I am the good shepherd. Look at that again. I am the good shepherd. 
I know my own and my own know me. Think about the longest relationship you've ever been in. Probably for most of it's our parents. Think about the, the most, the closest relationship that you have in your life. Maybe it's your spouse. I think when we think about God knowing us, we think of it in, in that term. And some of us, probably most of us, would go, there are some things, even though I'm very well known by so-and-so, there's probably still some things that they don't know. It's human nature. The deepest, darkest crevices of the darkest spaces in our lives. We don't share that with anybody. So obviously, if, if, that's, how my, if that's how God knows, if that's how Jesus knows me, then, then he doesn't know me that well. Here's what Jesus says. He says, listen. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. We lose a lot when we get scared of big, scary church words like the Trinity. Right? Trinity is scary because it's complex, it's confusing, it's paradoxical, so we can't actually completely explain it. But one of the beauties of the Trinity is that God in himself has, has everything that he needs to exist. Sometimes we think we as humans, we, we give something to God, like a relationship that he didn't have before. But the reality is, is that in the Trinity, in the three persons of the Trinity, God has had eternal, perfect communion with himself. God doesn't need us for anything. He has a perfect relationship. The Father and the Son for all eternity, have never had any fights. They've never had any disagreements. They've never, they've never slept in other rooms in the house because they're mad at each other. They've never done any of that. They've always known everything about each other from eternity past, and they will always know everything about each other for eternity future. And Jesus says, this is how I know you. You, you, you say this, if, if only God knew me, he wouldn't say me. Jesus says, I know you like the Father knows me and I know the Father. And then he repeats himself. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says, it's because I know you so intimately that I died for you. You sinful person, you are mine, and I died for you. But maybe I'm not one of his sheep. Right? We've, we've talked about election in the past. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not one of his sheep. Can I tell you something that we've, we've, we, we all... We're once not one of his sheep. Paul says we were once alienated and dead in our trespasses. And then, from outside his fold, Jesus called to us. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of, my, of, not of this fold, and I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. 
they will listen to my voice. Jesus says, he goes on, that for this reason the Father loves me. This doesn't mean that, that, that it was only after the death of Jesus on the cross that God finally, the Father finally loved Jesus. No, it's perfect communion, perfect community within the Godhead. For all eternity, God has always known that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb for all of us. This is the, this is the expression of the love of God within himself. He says something really profound at the end. He says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. And I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Jesus is the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I think sometimes we think that God the Father is the vengeful God that needs to enact justice. And that Jesus is in opposition to him as the loving part of God. This is inaccurate. This is wrong. It's a false belief. The reality is, is that the whole plan of God's saving work was always from the Trinity. Right? We see this at the end. This is the charge that I received from my Father. But Jesus corrects this misunderstanding of how the Good Shepherd is still the Good Shepherd once the Good Shepherd has died. The Good Shepherd is the Good Shepherd because once the Good Shepherd has died, has saved his flock, he rises and he takes his flock and tends them and cares for them and guides them, and directs them, and feeds them, waters them, keeps them safe. But again, there's one simple reality. We must know the voice of our protector. We in ourselves are foolish. It's a dangerous thing to say in front of a room full of people that you're foolish. It might offend you. I hope scripture offends you. I am foolish, you are foolish, we're all foolish. Until we hear the voice of our protector. Now, here's the here's the the here's the complex part of believing that God knows is in control, and he is the one who is doing everything. What's our responsibility? Well, our responsibility is exactly what Scripture says. To hear his voice and to come to him. Many of us who were once not in his fold are in his fold. We are his sheep. We are the sheep of his pasture. We're eating of the grass, the green grass of his field. We are drinking from the streams of life. Some are being called and do not have any idea what to do. We give excuse after excuse. We fight it. We argue against God. But ultimately, I can ask, I can say this 
with confidence, you know that God is calling you. So hear his voice and come to him. You hear his voice. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, Father, Savior, Protector, Lord, I ask that your voice would be known in all the earth. Lord, I ask that you would give us understanding. That would hear you, we would hear you call us by our name. That we would hear the sound of your voice and we would know that you are our guide and our protector and our life. Not him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the according to the power at work within us to the to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen